Now, dear listeners, uh, we're taking you on a bit of a diversion because your favourite podcast is about to be hijacked. We are being taken over by a youngster. Lorraine and I are having the tables turned on us because in honour of International Day of the Girl, which takes place on the 11th of October, we've invited a young aspiring journalist to host the show. Yes, throughout our careers in women's magazines and newspapers and now in the dizzy heights of podcasting, We've always both been vocal advocates of empowering, nurturing and supporting the women who are coming up behind us. It's that idea of being a leader and leaving the ladder drop down behind you and helping somebody else. And we're delighted to be supporting the charity Plan International's campaign, which you'll hear more about in a minute. My family and I have been supporting Plan International since my two eldest girls were born. And Trish, you've had a long-standing relationship with the charity, haven't you? Mainly from my Marie Claire days, actually. We always worked very closely with Plan. And um, as Ava's going to explain, Plan supports children from deprived and challenging backgrounds and, and really advocates the global equality for girls. But um I actually did a trip with the plan team to see the work that they were doing in Ghana for Marie Claire's 30th anniversary. Um, and it was really incredible because Esme came, she, my daughter Esme came, she was only 14. And the idea was that she was going to meet 14-year-old girls in Ghana who were on the program. And we met some amazing young women. And one of them, Angelique, she, was, um, she had a one-year-old baby. So it was quite an eye-opener, but she was, had been kept in school due to the PLAN program, which was really amazing. And of course, so we sponsor and support PLAN too. That's brilliant. Well, I think it's time to bring in someone I'm going to call the new Emily Maitlis to the world. She's 21-year-old <laughs> Ava, who grew up in Liverpool and has been on PLAN's youth advisory panel and worked with them on their Crime Not Compliment public sexual harassment campaign. Ava, welcome to Postcards from Midlife. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Go on. It's time for us to let you turn the tables on us. Tell us a bit about yourself and the campaign and then you can ask us some questions. So my name is Ava. I'm 21. I've just graduated from the University of Cambridge. I studied English there um, and I've been involved with Plan UK um, for years since I was about 16. And they've really helped me to kind of personally develop um, and be part of some absolutely incredible campaigns. So Crime Not Compliment, um, which is tackling public sexual harassment, you know, which was a really, really successful campaign in my kind of personal development and career as well. They were the first kind of people who got me down to London. You know, I could never really travel down there before, but they really supported me and made it so accessible for me to come and do some really incredible work and campaigns with them. I'm proud of you and I'm not even related to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm here today because I'm part of the girls' takeover. Um, so yeah, I'm an aspiring journalist. Um, I'm really interested in the media. Um, and yeah, so I'm here kind of taking over from you guys for the podcast, which is so exciting. And um, I'm just going to ask you a bit about kind of leadership and your careers and your personal development. I'll just go straight ahead then, should I? Do it, do it. So, I mean, obviously you both have had such incredible careers and are just fantastic role models for someone like me, like a young woman, like going out into the world. You know, it's really good that I've got people like you to look up to. I just wanted to ask first of all, like, how do you feel at this point in your career? I feel mostly glad that we created community in what we did as journalists and we raised the voice of women both in this country and all around the world. And I feel like, I mean, I have absolutely no qualifications. I left school at 16. So I feel like there is a chance you can make your way. So 
I feel like I've done some good things. I feel like I've got a lot to learn. And I also think, Ava, I've got a lot to learn from women of your generation coming through because I think you have a very different attitude to the world and it's really refreshing and it brings a whole new energy. I think I'm quite surprised at where I am at this point in my career because I never really had a career plan. It just sort of evolved. And fortunately, I you know ended up doing some really amazing jobs in magazines. But then when it came to an end, had that feeling of terror and loss and what am I going to do now? And my imposter syndrome kicked in, you know, which I think is something that uh, our generation of women certainly still suffer from, even at this age. But then I sort of had faith in you, Lorraine, and me and what we were doing. We've just really enjoyed it, haven't we? This next stage, it's very different not being in a corporate role, just doing our own things and just being in charge of ourselves. I mean, obviously, I'm in charge of you as well, Lorraine, as everybody knows, but <laughs> it's very different. And I think one of the things that I think our generation didn't have was this idea that you can change careers. You can change careers, you know, after three years, after five years, at any different stage of your life. Whereas I think we were sort of like, you're on a career path and a track and that's what you stick on. And then suddenly you get to 45, 50, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do this. What now? So I think for you guys, it's like open to opportunities and doing things differently. It's really lovely to hear that because especially like I've just graduated and a lot of my friends are going kind of, they've got these jobs lined up and they're going straight into them, which is fantastic. But I've just gone completely rogue and I'm doing like stand-up comedy and just really oh, like random things that I just like enjoy and just trying to like find what I enjoy. And it's, it's good to hear that you guys have experienced that kind of flexibility with that. I think, Ava, media is about storytelling and that is in many different forms. Getting the facts right, learning how to research and, and spelling everyone's name right, but it's also about storytelling and that is stand-up comedy, that is writing a blog. You know, young journalists today have to be video makers, interviewers, writers, authors. They have to be on social media. It, it's a real portfolio thing, media, which I think it makes very exciting for you. How far have things changed or stayed the same for you in terms of your gendered experience because I can imagine the world you know when you were going out into the workplace was quite different to maybe what it is now. I think for me because I having mainly done most of my you know career in women's magazines it was mainly run by women (laughs) so I worked with a lot of women and employed a lot of women and you know, didn't really experience a lot of uh, sexism or um, the kind of issues that are still absolutely ongoing, I think, in the kind of career space. It's definitely getting better. But I think for you guys, like Lorraine said before, things like your social media presence, I mean, for us, it's a bit mind-blowing, the idea that, you know, an employer is going to look at your Instagram as well as your LinkedIn. And how do you, you know, that's what I think about my daughter, how do they find that balance between the professional and the personal yeah, I was literally talking to someone about this last night because, I, I mean, I'm not on TikTok at the minute, but they were like, you really, you need to get on TikTok because then I was like, do I have like a private Instagram account as well as like my public? So it, it's quite hard. It's something like I'm always like really conscious of, especially like, you know, doing interviews or doing like stand up because I'm interested in a lot of different kind of career paths at the moment. And I don't want to do anything that kind of isolates me from one or the other. So, it's, yeah, it's something that I'm really, really conscious of. I'd also just add, uh, Ava, that there is no such thing as a private account. The moment you share it, someone else will share it. So it, I, I think I always say this to my daughters, it will get seen. So you can have it private and say it, but somebody will share it. You're putting it out on record for history forever. <laughs> that scares the life out of me. So yeah. I, wish, 
I wish you well with that. Well, it's just I, I don't. I think you have to see it in a positive way. You can curate and edit your own story, so don't don't put out what isn't relevant. And you know, if you want to share it, share it. You know, on WhatsApp or text. Just don't share it on any form of platform that other people could share it from. I think you just have to be constantly aware of how you curate and edit your own life. And that gives you a real sense of power and control, I think. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. You've got a lot of autonomy over it, really. So in terms of like leadership and kind of career progression, what challenges do you feel that you face personally going through that? And when you do face an obstacle, how do you deal with it? I think for me, and I say this whenever I talk to journalism students, whenever I talk to women and, you know, I work with lots of charities and in lots of different organisations, you must not choose your path based on what other people think of you. And your leadership decisions should not be based consistently worrying what other people think of you. It's the thing that came to me all the time from the staff that I employed on both magazines and newspapers. I worked for half my career in newspapers and newsrooms as well. Young women were very, very worried what other people thought about them. And it was really inhibiting them on a day-to-day way. And I just thought, well, you, you really have to put that aside because you can't change people's opinions. Statistically, not everyone can like you anyway. The science would prove that that would be impossible and ridiculous. So really stick to your own authentic, as long as you're kind and you don't hurt people and you're only working to to look after yourself properly and to make sure everyone else is looked after, you really must stop worrying what other people think. I think that makes you a really good leader, not overthinking what are we doing in the moment, what are the benefits, what are the negatives, what are the positives, and do it in a very scientific way without getting involved in this emotional conversation in your head about what other people are doing, what other people are thinking, what other people are saying. That is very liberating when you stop thinking about other people or worrying about other people. That would be my main bit of advice. Just learn to rely on yourself and your own feelings and keep that conversation positive in your head. I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle, which is that you know when you get into a position of leadership, you have so much more responsibility, so many more skills that you need to kind of call on that you have um, or build on or develop or grow. So you need to kind of, if you want to be a leader, you need to think about as you're channeling your way there, how do I invest in myself to become a good leader? What skills do I need? What do I need to brush up on? What do I need to spend time working on myself? I'd say one of the most important skills for good leadership is your communication style. So really maybe interrogate what is my communication style. Think about who are good communicators. What can you learn from them? And how do you develop your communication style? Because it's all communication. Because if you're managing people, you're getting them to an end goal and you need them to get there. So you have to communicate to them. If you want to be a leader, you may not want to be a leader. That is a choice you could you could easily make as well. I mean, if you're going to lead teams, you've got to look at how diverse those teams are what kind of personalities you have within that team, how you interact. You know, I got a lot of training around leadership because I work with some quite neurodiverse people in my teams as well and people from all sorts of backgrounds. And I wanted to make sure I could deal with everything they were going through. I was respectful of that. And one thing I did was really learn from the young women in my team. I used to have what I would call reverse mentoring sessions. So I would have my, I sat on a hot desk, I didn't have an office. So I would have the, the big office room, we would have everyone in and I'd get all the young women in and say, right, tell me what you think about this. Tell me how you think I handled that situation. Could I have handled it better? And we did it every six to eight weeks. And it was really great feedback, actually, because we're all in our different, you know, on our different paths. And it's nice to hear without taking it personally, what other people think of you. 
because I think as well leadership is like quite often characterized as like historically something very male and not kind of imitating that style of traditional kind of like aggressive styles of leadership. But, you know, if you are a leader, you are taking the buck stops with you. So you do have to know the business reasons of, you know, so you need the weight of that, be able to deal with the weight of that responsibility as well. You can't push that off on everyone else, (laughs) you know. So, but your decisions are fact-based, aren't they? And not overthought and, you know, taking everyone's thoughts into account. Um, So if you had to pick a favourite moment or highlight from your careers, I know that might be quite difficult, but if there was a moment where, I don't know, like kind of just a light bulb went off or you were just like, I'm so proud, I feel like I've, you know, finally done what I wanted to do or that just made me like really, really happy and, and proud. Well, I think one of the, I mean, I loved editing Ally Editel for 12 years. I built the team. I, I loved my team so much, but um, I wasn't always so keen on the celebrity fashion side of it. It didn't really interest me. But one of my proudest moments is when we took Emma Watson to the United Nations, where she gave a very famous talk on feminism for the He for She campaign. Um, and we orchestrated that as a magazine. We worked with UN Women. I was there in the room. It made global news. We had something like a million views on the video that we put. Um, and it was early days video on, on the website. So it was a really fantastic moment. We had a campaign um, in London as well where quite well-known men would wear he for she T-shirts. And we really spread the information about everywhere in the world where women were not given a voice, everywhere in the world where young girls were not educated. And we knew the science of young girls being educated really changed the economy of a country. So we took all of that, put it all in a women's magazine, and we used our voice to spread the words, really. Um, and Emma was on the cover. We did our first ever feminism issue as the best-selling issue of the year. It was just amazing. And I just thought I've created a really gorgeous cover because it was visually very lovely. I've satisfied all my advertisers from the fashion world. I've got a great interview. We did the interview, Emma and I did the interview in Central Park on a bench. It was really, really lovely interview. And then we did had this campaign that ran for a year to the following year, to the following September, when we had another feminism issue looking back on what we'd done. So I think really 12 months of work spreading the word and gently telling people about how unfair the world was for women and still is for women at the time was a real highlight for me. That's incredible. And I remember I remember watching it myself and such, such fantastic moment. Yeah. So mine is, there's so many moments, but I think actually when I was appointed editor of Marie Claire, because I remember when Marie Claire magazine first came out in 1988. So I was your age, Ava, now, but when it came out, so I was 21 when it came out. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, this is incredible. It was the magazine for me. I absolutely loved it. Uh, the kind of mix of, you know, really interesting global articles, feminism, plus fashion, plus beauty, plus all, all of those things. If you told me then that I was going to become editor, I would probably have fallen on the floor. <laughs> I just couldn't. It wasn't, it wasn't even conceivable for me how I would get from there to there. So I think looking back at the journey then from picking up that magazine in the news agents to becoming editor. Um, you know, there's so many brilliant milestones on the way. But I think the thing is, you can't imagine it. You can't imagine what you'll be doing in 20, 40 years time. You could try and plan for it and educate yourself. And I had a very happy career to look back on that career in the way that I have done to 1988 when I first spotted it. Yeah, that was quite momentous to me. Like you say, you've got seen into the future, you never can. So when things like that happen, it's just incredible. Yeah. Is there something you really love that you think, 
I'd never be able to do that or I'd love to do that or how do I do that? Oh, I mean, being like a presenter on like Good Morning Britain or something like that, the biggest one is Strictly. If I have any career goals, (laughs) it's definitely Strictly. That would be like the dream. Don't know what route I'll have to take to get into that. Yeah, we'll watch this space (laughs) for sure. Yeah, presenting and like a political journalist. I I love politics and I'd really love to be like the political correspondent for a large kind of news agency yeah are there any other aspects of like your identity that that you feel has made like progression in leadership tough because I mean the the girls take over today and a lot of the conversations are centered around gender but I know that kind of from my experience being from quite a working class background from Liverpool going to Cambridge often it was that that kind of made things quite tough for me in kind of a position that, that I was in at university at this prestigious place so I was just curious to see if any other aspects of your identities have made it a bit tough for you in the workplace at times. I mean, we're both from working class backgrounds, aren't we? And I think that that I always thought that would be a hurdle for me because once you go out into the world and you start meeting, you know, I went to Brighton Poly, you know, grew up in a house, we had no books, nobody had gone to university before. And you sort of can talk yourself into that holding you back. But it didn't really hold me back. I just had to try and use it to my advantage. And it was colourful. It was a brilliant life. It was a brilliant background. And Lorraine's story about stories, you know, I had a great story. My story was great. It just didn't happen to be particularly posh or well-educated. So it was trying to find how to use that in a positive way, um, which I think I, I managed to do. My background is fairly similar to yours, uh, Ava. I grew up in a very small village on the edge of Bodmin Moor in Cornwall and obviously left school with no qualifications. I, I would have been the first person to go to university if I'd gone uh, in my family. But I've sat in uh, news conferences with people only from Cambridge and Oxford. <laughs> but I think you have to have that achievement is huge anyway. So some sense of yourself in that room as being absolutely valid and respected Uh, You know, at times I had to work a lot harder, I always felt, because I had to be doubly right and know all the facts when perhaps a male colleague who'd been to Cambridge probably didn't need to know as much because he was instantly believable. Maybe I wasn't so believable. But I think a lot of that was in my head. So I think take it out of your head. Just take it out of your head because it's not relevant. So I have a real problem with the term imposter syndrome because it's always used around women. It's more frequently used around women. And it implies there are rooms that women shouldn't be in from certain backgrounds. And it really, you're not an imposter. You have just as much right to be in that room if you have the experience and you're trained and you've skilled yourself to be in the right place at the right time. So just ignore it. Don't overthink it. And anything is possible. I mean, I I often think, you know, I couldn't have been a brain surgeon. But I knew I would be a very, very good journalist. So I knew um, I was offered the job of the news editor on The Times at one point, um, and I was very young. And I knew at that point then I had every right to be in those news conferences as everybody else who had been educated. We all bring something else. It's not to denigrate people who've done an amazing amount and been to Cambridge or Oxford or any of the big universities. We all bring something different into that room. So identify what you bring into the room that maybe the others don't. And then really, you know, really herald that, really hero that. And try and have that complete faith in yourself. Don't let the seed of doubt in and stop worrying about what anyone, if anyone else has that narrative going on in their head. It's so irrelevant to you if you, you have every right to be there. So just be there. I mean, I say that, that as a white woman, I think it was probably much, much harder for women of colour. But don't underestimate your own power on positively thinking yourself into those places. 
it's all possible. Well, talking about kind of Cambridge and like positions of like leadership, one of the things I noticed a lot was now it's like a 50-50 gender divide in Cambridge. However, on the like fellowship and the lecturers and the researchers and everyone in positions of seniority, the statistics are still completely skewed towards the kind of male side. So I was just wondering kind of why do you think, you know, women are still vastly underrepresented in positions of leadership? Patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, patriarchy, only 10 women in the FTSE 100. It's ridiculous that, you know, we're 50% population. I think as well, you generally, if you're in a senior position like that in leadership, you're going to be older. Women have that break in their career when you have maternity leave and getting women back into the workplace in senior positions more quickly, getting the right childcare, the right support, the right government initiatives and um, things like that. So I, I do think that that hopefully it will change. The pipeline, your generation will come through and, you know, these statistics will be different. You know, they're definitely better than we, when we started out, you know, 30 odd years ago. But I do think until this country's maternity policies and support for childcare get better, we're still going to have this problem. Society is constructed around men. It gives men a privilege. That's, you know, we are working within a society that benefits men. I mean, you can look at all the science and all the statistics. There's a huge pay gap. There's women get 35% less in their pensions when they stop. So, and it doesn't really work for men either because the, the other statistics show that, you know, if you have a mixed board, then companies do better economically. They really do return a better profit. So it isn't really working for any of us. But I think we are beginning to question that. I think men are beginning to question that. Society puts men under enormous pressure with this skewed version of masculinity that is about, you know, that they learn from childhood, that they should be rougher, they should be more physical, they should be stronger, all of these, they shouldn't show feelings. This is all still inbuilt in society, but it is beginning to be dismantled. And I think your generation are really questioning the definition of male and female and how that works, which I think is really important. So until we start to break apart from very early age how society works for working class, for, for better diversity, then really it's not going to move forward at the pace that we would want it to move forward. And actually, actually it's actually moving backwards slightly um, economically. But I think you are beginning to question it. So I think that is a good thing, but I wouldn't let it weigh down on you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really wouldn't. I mean, men are taking paternity leave now, which they weren't before. And companies are offering equal pay packages around that as well. So I think there's more choice. No, that's good to hear. And then finally, I mean, you've already given me... Absolutely fantastic advice. But what would you say to someone, you know, in my position, you know, a young woman just left university going into the workplace? What would be your kind of top tips? Be happy. Do something that makes you happy. I just think um, it's that being open to things, being open and curious. I mean, that's journalists have to be open minded and curious. They have to read that, to research, listen to people's stories. But it is about respecting other people's opinions as well and learning to argue, discuss, talk through things. Our society is, what's the right phrase? It's quite split at the moment, isn't it? I think it's not going to get anywhere like that. And don't be afraid to hustle as well. You know, you've got to do what you've got to do to get to the front of the queue, <laughs> you know, or get your CV in the door or whatever. So don't be afraid to hustle and use who you know, what you know. Yeah, work out your USP. What is it you've got that other people coming into the room might not have, you know, and how can you benefit whichever company, organisation, 
or whatever you're you're working for. What is your benefit to them? Um, I think is always good. And also just really take care of yourself. Trish and I come from Generation X and it was a generation that endured so much. We worked so hard and we had a really heavy endurance mindset about we had to be the best mothers, we had to be the best at work, we had to be better than the men in the room, all of that kind of thing, which actually was really unhelpful for us, I think. So don't do that. (laughs) You know, make sure you take care of yourself. You don't have to work every day. You don't have to work in the office. You ask for things that you want. Often young women would come to me very nervous about asking for pay, find your voice around money. That's really important. Nervous about asking for time off, nervous about saying, I have this thing I want to do on Friday mornings. Could I do it before I come in? It's an art thing I need to do. And I I would always say yes, if it didn't so adversely affect the business, it would be a problem. But if you didn't ask me, I wouldn't telepathically know that. So make sure you learn to gently ask for what you want. You'd be surprised at what people say yes to. That's absolutely fantastic advice. Yeah, yeah, you filled me with a lot of You're going to be brilliant. Thank you so much. Listen, you got to Cambridge. I've got three daughters. I know how hard you had to work to do that. So I'm just so impressed. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Postcards from Midlife, Ava, and turning the tables on us. Um, I think we enjoyed being asked questions for once. It was rather nice. Now, if anybody is interested in finding out more about PLAN, uh, maybe you might want to get your daughters involved as well with some of the campaigns. Do go to the website, plan-uk.org. And in honour of International Day of the Girl on the 11th of October, um, they are creating a Fierce Voices community, asking people to start a regular donation of £3 a month and be part of a community powering change for girls around the world. And those who join Fierce Voices this October will receive a limited edition Day of the Girl Tote Mag. <laughs> <laughs>